0: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective.
1: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Elmore. My guest today is Julie Podker. Julie is a mindfulness expert and the author of two books, Life Falls Apart, But You Don't Have to, Mindful Methods for Staying Calm in the Midst of Chaos, and Snap, From Chaos to Calm, which was just published this year. Julie is a graduate of the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program at University of California, San Diego, and she's trained in mindful self-compassion and positive neuroplasticity training. Today, Julie shares these mindfulness techniques with the world through her books and through her mindful methods for life trainings. Today, we're talking about mindfulness techniques and Julie's book, Snap, From Chaos to Calm. Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. We're happy to have you with us. It's my pleasure. Well, I know there's a lot of different terms that people use within the mindful community, um, and different aspects of mindfulness. Can you explain as we start out how you define mindful self-compassion?
0: Yeah, I define mindful self-compassion the way that Kristen Neff and Chris Germer, who created the curriculum very specifically design it. It's mindfulness because you have to know you're suffering in order to soothe yourself. It's self-kindness, which is treating yourself as you would a dear friend. And it's common humanity because we are actually really all in this together. And when we get the sense that our grief or fear or anxiety or whatever it is that we're feeling in that moment that we're struggling with is actually being experienced by a billion other people in that instant, it helps stave off. A sense of isolation and can prevent you from sliding down the rabbit hole into an actual depression.
1: Mm, Really powerful. I think sometimes when people hear mindfulness or even mindful self compassion, sometimes they picture somebody just trying to relax and calm down. Can you maybe articulate how it's different from just simply relaxation?
0: It's really a very broad, deep, wide set of tools and techniques that help you to manage your nervous system Mm -hmm. and help you show up in the world as a better human being. And then there's so much science that goes deep onto each of the techniques that help us basically heal ourselves, each other, and the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's more of
1: an active, intentional practice as opposed to just sort of turning our brains off and relaxing, right? And by the way, you can't turn your brain off. True. Tell us more about that. I know everyone says that, but yeah, let's explain that a bit. I
0: remember years ago when I first started teaching meditation and I asked a group, it was actually in a corporate setting. I asked the group of people, what do they think about when they think about meditation? And so many of them said, turning off your mind. And then that's why they don't do it. And that's why they can't do it. And, you know, it's a bummer that people have that idea because it prevents them from really nourishing practices. Of course, you can't turn off your monkey mind. We're wired to worry and ruminate. That's what we do because we're primates. Otherwise our species wouldn't still be here. So what meditation does is give you an anchor to shine the light of your awareness on, and then you remember your knee hurts, and then you bring it back to the prompt, and then you remember your stomach is grumbling, and then you bring it back to the prompt, and then you remember, shoot, you didn't fill out that form, and then you bring it back to the prompt. And eventually, those time periods where your awareness is resting on whatever the prompt is, do get longer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And And you get a wellness from that. You're giving your whole body a break when you're giving your brain a break. Absolutely. Great, great explanation. Tell us a little bit about how
1: you entered this world. How did you end up becoming interested in mindfulness, becoming essentially
0: a mindfulness expert? Tell us your story. Well, I went to a neurologist because I thought I had a brain tumor because I was so messed up that the wrong words were coming out of my mouth pretty consistently. Wow. And he diagnosed me with stress. Mm. So of course I had the brain scans and I had the interview and the whole thing. And I had three teenagers, all three of my kids have ADHD. Now they're 28, 28 and 32. But back then they were early teens. The girls might've even been tweens and I was a wreck. And I didn't realize that too much cortisol and adrenaline never going back to baseline, always staying in fight or flight could really mess a body up and it messed mine up. And so he recommended mindfulness base stress reduction, John Kabat-Zinn's class from 1979, which he's like, have you you ever heard of that? And I said, no. So he recommended that I took it at UCSD because I live in San Diego. It's taught at hospitals all over the world, but I I happened to take it from the university because their location was closer to where I lived. And it really introduced me to an entire world of help Mm. that I didn't know existed And then I got so into the brain science because I'm an attorney by education and I'm a little bit of a geek when it comes to science, even though I didn't get good grades in science, I just love it. And so I just went down these rabbit holes, basically, in a good way. I started studying with Rick Hansen right away. There was an online course called Meditation and the Brain. And then there was one called like the Compassionate Brain. And I just... I just kept going. And then when mindful self-compassion got invented, I took it because Mm -hmm. I was on the listserv from UCSD and they got the course. And I actually never asked Chris Germer or Kristen Neff how it ended up at UCSD and not UCLA and not Berkeley and not Harvard and not Texas, because he's at Harvard and she's at Texas. And you'd think it would have been at like Berkeley. Right. Right but it ended up in San Diego. So I got to take it. And then three years later they offered a teacher training and I'm like, yes. So I was in the first cohort of teachers in 2014. Wow. What a journey. All the teachers were like you, Aaron, there were, there were 51 of us, 49 therapists. Wow. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Wow. I mean, well, what a journey. And how do you, how do you feel like your stress is now? How do you notice any,
0: you're using all the right words today. So I imagine things are a lot better. Oh my gosh. Well, my practice is really developed and mature. And I really thank my teachers every single day that I have developed these tools. Now, because I am who I am, I slice and dice everybody's curriculum and come up with best practices, which is what happened with mindful methods for life. Not that mindful self-compassion wasn't excellent on its own. It is. I still teach it, but I needed to fold in the awakening joy curriculum, Baraz's curriculum. I needed to stick Rick Hansen's experience-dependent neuroplasticity training. I needed to stick that in session one instead of mentioning it in session eight. You mm. know what I mean? I needed to to like jam Brene Brown right in there and Tara Brock. So I'm a nerd and it's fun for me to develop curriculum like this and to give people the greatest hits.
1: Yeah. Well, that's everyone's benefit and, you know, including our audience. So, so yeah, you were referring to your first book, correct? The mindful methods of staying calm
0: book. Yeah, that was life falls apart, but you don't have to. I should say that is life falls apart, but you don't have to. That's like your greatest for staying calm in the midst of chaos. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's the, that's the greatest hits where you can kind of
1: combine all of the things that you found helpful Mm -hmm. and it's more comprehensive than maybe just one aspect of all of that. That sounds really interesting. And tell us more about the book that you just published this
0: year. So this is SNAP and it's an acronym for managing yourself. And it grew out of necessity for me because I was teaching rain, which you might be familiar with, recognize, allow, investigate, not identify, which Tara Brock borrowed from Wendy McDonald, who was a meditation teacher in the 80s.
1: I yeah. haven't looked
0: her up. She's probably still fantastic now. I just don't know anyway. But Tara's the one who popularized Rain and even, I think, wrote a book about Rain. And I've been teaching Rain, even though it's not a mindful self compassion tool, I've been teaching it because it's good. But then I realized it's not good enough because mm. it doesn't front load soothing touch. I'm always adding the mammalian caregiver response right away. Because it starts the cascade of endorphins and oxytocin. And we need that. That's helpful right away before we can even get our prefrontal cortex online to make a more skillful response. Your body's actually calming down. So Mm -hmm. that's the S in SNAP. And then the N is name the emotion, name it to tame it, feel it to heal it. I'm sure you've heard that and you do that. And that continues to calm down our brains because you're. Making a larger container. It's perspective giving. You can see you're not anger. Anger is arising, and then the A in SNAP is act, and it's what do I need to hear right now? Which is a mindful self-compassion inquiry, and it's mm-hmm. the very best thing you can ask yourself right off the bat. And if it's fear, after you've named it and and you're in the act, and you say what do I need to hear right now? It could be like, you know what? I'm actually safe right now. Mm. And then what do I need to do right now to change the channel? And this is purely me. This isn't taken from somewhere else because I believe that we have a lot of power and control over our mood and it's not to spiritually bypass, but it's just to help ourselves feel better. And mm-hmm. so I would use a tool that would be available. If I was in my car, it might be breathing. If I was at home, it might be taking a bath or listening to a song or whatever. That's your toolbox, right? And you've got 40 things in there. You've made a joy list. Some of those things on your joy list could be your tool. And then the P is praise. And Aaron, if you're a religious person. If you're a faith-based person, the P could be thanking your deity. If you're a more secular person like I am or science-based person, I thank my teachers. I thank myself. I thank the universe. And What's it's that gratitude component. Yeah. And the gratitude, you know what the science behind gratitude oh, is. Oh, so. huge. Huge. So I make everybody keep a gratitude practice every day.
1: We'll be right back after word from our sponsor,
0: Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com/bht and enter promo code BHT15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com/bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today.
1: Yeah. Wow. I really like Snap because you're right. It it does have elements of some of the more traditional, original mindfulness teachings, but it's nice to have them all combined together in one place, which is Snap. And and for for those who couldn't see, she just snapped her fingers, which is so cute. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really great. And I'm guessing this process, the Snap process wouldn't take that long. I suppose you could do it over a long course of time, like a half hour and make it a meditative process, but I, I could imagine you also could do it pretty quickly. Like if you are feeling irritated or something in between meetings or you're driving, I imagine you could probably move through those steps fairly quickly too. Is that true? Or do you recommend taking a certain amount of time I with think it? you
0: could do it in about 10 seconds, right? Or you could take as long as you want. And if you're suffering like a catastrophic sadness or grief You might need a lot of tools one after another in your toolbox to get yourself feeling okay. Mm. Right? But if it's like last night, we were going out to dinner, we were meeting friends, we were on time, not running late, and we hit a pothole. And I said to my husband, wow, that's the kind of pothole that could give you a flat tire. And just then up on the dashboard came the tire. No, It was like... 60%, 40%, 20%, 14, zero. No. Yes. And we pulled over. And of there's no what kind of a car doesn't have a spare tire? And so then I got educated that oh, new cars oftentimes don't have spare tires, which is so dumb. <laughs> and then we tried to we called our friends because we were supposed to meet them for dinner. We tried to get an Uber. Uber lies, it says it's going to be there in four minutes, but then when it finally finds a driver, it jumps to nine minutes, then it jumps to 11 minutes. So actually there was a restaurant nearby. We asked our friends if they wouldn't mind driving to the restaurant nearby, if we could get a table, cause we could walk to that restaurant. And that's what we ended up doing. And I snapped when we sat down at the table mm-hmm. because I was like, so like, oh. you know what I mean? It was Who would so- it be? Do you mind walking
1: us through briefly the snap again? Because this is a really good example. So how did you do that so quickly?
0: So I looked at my friends, the husband and the wife and my husband, and I was like visibly like kind of vibrating basically, right? And I said, all right, I'm just going to snap this. And so I snapped my fingers. I did soothing touch. Oh, for those who can't see, she's placing one hand on top of the other, both on top of her, her chest listeners, my soothing touch places my heart, but for many people, it could be their belly or one hand on each, or it could be cradling their face, or it could be hugging their arms or hand in hand if you're in a corporate setting. So my hands were on my chest. Then I put my hands down and I named all of the emotions. And I was like, I feel anxious. I feel frustrated. I feel annoyed. I feel freezing. (laughs) (laughs) It's really cold. out. I'm hungry. Right. Yeah. And, and so I said all of that and then I put my arm straight out and I said, what do I need to hear right now? And I said, Julie, darling, you are safe. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is a beautiful restaurant. It's a little more expensive than what we had planned, but how wonderful that we can afford it Mm. and have gratitude for that. Mm -hmm. And then I did prayer hands for praise. And I thanked myself and my teachers for the long years of practice and me being able to manage my nervous system. I already feel
1: calmer after listening to this because <laughs> nobody likes a flat tire. It's very stressful.
0: Oh my God. And Kenny said, Kenny, we were with these friends, Lori and Kenny, and Kenny looked up and he said, I can really use that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, you can. In fact, I have a book for you. <laughs> and I'm I'm finding that this is resonating with men, which is really interesting because my first book was really female. Mm-hmm. And when they asked me when I was marketing the book, who your audience is, I said, women. And I said, probably women that are middle-aged women, because it might be scary if you hadn't had babies yet reading all the horror stories about parenting in there. If you're on the fence, it might make you not want to have a kid, you know, and then women age, whatever, all the way up. This book is really unisex. They say, who's this book for? And I say humans. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting because I do
1: feel like sometimes a lot of these mindfulness or more getting in touch with emotions easily resonate with women. Like culturally, Mm -hmm. it's just something that we have more language for as more... Typical as we talk with our girlfriends, but men have all the same emotions and sometimes not as many tools. But this is really attractive too, because it's, it can't be pretty efficient and quick. And it's not right. like you have to dwell be like, oh, she said this. And then I felt that way. And then because I felt this way, she said, you know, women like to really unpack all of these feelings and I could see men being able to just do this the way you did at that restaurant really yeah. privately or quickly or yeah. And then kind of rebound and get back to what they need to do men or women. But yeah,
0: I think there's maybe a need to give men coping skills like this. Yeah, absolutely. There's a movement within the men and masculinity psychological world to try to help men be more comfortable with their emotions and may that flourish because they need it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. What other strategies have you noticed can help when people are trying to transition their mood or maybe calm their attention. You you mentioned a couple earlier, like baths or, but what else do you think would help? That's that's your
0: toolbox, Aaron. So it's what's going to work for you. You know, there's, there are certain things like breathing, which I know, you know, all about that is regardless of whom you are, it's going to calm you down. If you exhale longer than you inhale, your blood pressure and your heart rate are going to go down. And there's Tons of different breathing techniques. And I feel like when we're counting, it's just almost like using a mantra. It's focusing your awareness. So your breathing is slowing down your heart rate and your blood pressure, but you're also focusing your attention on counting in for four and out for six, or whether you're doing box breathing or that thing they do with kids that I think so cute where they go with one hand, the finger of one hand, and they go up and down the other hand. Mm -hmm. I almost think a lot of these things are sort of like hacks to pull you away from time traveling to the past, where you're ruminating, and to the future where you're worrying Mm -hmm. and bringing you right back into the present moment, which is mindfulness. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I've heard that thing of like try to count backwards if you're particularly perturbed about something because it takes more mental focus to so just try and count backwards and it's the exactly. same idea of
0: being present somehow in your mind. Exactly. And then, so what I'm holding yeah. up in my hand is a here and now stone. So I pass these out when I teach in a big basket and people can pick the ones they want and it's a polished stone and it's always got little irregularities. And so when you're feeling activated, You can rub it and you can feel these little irregularities and you can feel the temperature and you can look at the color and you can say, where the heck did this come from? And while you're doing that, guess what you're not doing? Worrying. Hello, not worrying. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's it. Right. So it's grounding. They're simple. You can ground yourself through your butt in the chair. You can ground yourself through the soles of your feet you can take a sense and savor walk where you open all your sense doors and you're just like grooving out there, seeing what you can see, feeling what you can feel, smelling what you can smell. I mean, it's super fun and enjoyable to do. And when you're doing that, you can't be rehashing the conversation that bothered you.
1: Mm, mm -hmm. Really good.
0: Yeah. And how do you feel like the Uh, the word I'm thinking
1: of is favor, where it almost seems like you favor the self-compassion aspect of mindfulness. How do you feel like that is so important? Because I know there's a lot of people that, that would do all the things we just talked about, but really that's the mindfulness aspect. And I know that self-compassion piece is so powerful. So maybe you could explain a little bit of how adding that in to all the things we're talking about is, is really helpful.
0: That's a super good question. The short answer is it warms it up. And I actually remember John Kabat Zinn saying in an interview that self compassion is explicit in mindfulness, but really, mindful self compassion made it explicit. Mm -hmm. So we need to treat ourselves like a dear friend. And that branches off into internal family systems and our inner critic cuz if we talk to our friends like we talk to ourselves we wouldn't have any friends i no friends zero friends yeah right. most of us are so mean to ourselves you know we look in the mirror and it's just it's disgusting what we say to ourselves in our head right and so in the mindful self compassion curriculum there's a unit on the inner critic in my first book I call that chapter, Thank Your Inner Bitch. But that is what it's, that's a quote. That's what it's called because that's, that's what I call my inner critic. And in that book, I take students through an exploration of who the voice is. It's a voice of an early caregiver and how to learn to appreciate what the voice was trying to say as you got old and you internalize that voice. Perhaps it's to try to keep you safe, to do your best, not embarrass yourself, whatever it is. And then you can write a letter and send your inner critic packing. You can say, thank you. I know you've been trying to help. It's not very skillful. Doesn't sound nice. I can take it from here. Yep,
1: yeah, love that. I know I've heard so many different approaches and one that always makes me chuckle is like, think of someone you don't like or someone who used to bully you when you were young. And that's, that's the name of the critic. So, you know, like you can just call them out when you hear them and say, that's not me. This is so-and-so and and I've already addressed this goodbye. (laughs) It's just really helpful to be able to dismiss that voice.
0: I have this example that I always use. So you think of a behavior you want to change and you just write it, with your normal inner critic voice. And it's it's like lazy fat ass, get up <laughs> off the couch. That's and so get, rude. <laughs> get your butt on the Peloton bike, right? Yeah. And, and your inner critic would say, Sweetheart, I care about you and I know you want to be healthy and you wanna feel good and exercise will make you feel good. It's going to release endorphins. It'll make you look better, which also makes you feel better. I mean, this voice is gorgeous. It goes on and on. And guess what? It's motivating. Yeah. Yeah. So if you actually talk to yourself like that, you would be more apt to get on the bike.
1: Yes. So if the inner critic voice is usually an early caregiver, would the self-compassionate voice potentially also be an early caregiver or an attachment figure? Could you call upon a good attachment figure to help with the self-compassion
0: voice? Where's that source? That's different. That's interesting. I like what you just asked. Mm. But that that is different. The self-compassionate voice, if you don't know how to find it, You imagine what you would say to somebody that you love and care about on the Mm -hmm. same issue. And then you realize it is your voice. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah. Because it's it's a lot more easily accessible for other people. It doesn't need to be your beloved grandmother or whatever. You own this and it's in you and it's Mm -hmm. always accessible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And school, it's, it's it's a good journey to be able to find that and then let that be
0: louder than the critic exactly. There yeah. is um a caveat that I should say, which I talk about in the book, if your childhood was fraught with severe neglect and abuse, this technique would not be applicable.
1: Mm, okay, because
0: there wouldn't be a value to that voice, yeah, you want to you don't want to bring
1: up that voice very often and you don't want to thank it. Right. Right. Oh yeah. I was thinking that when you were talking about earlier, like what was the intention behind the critic? Cause most loving parents, they do their best, right? Um, things can get misconstrued, especially when you're a kid, but yeah, I'm sure if there are people who've gone through some serious trauma, sometimes there isn't much lovingness to pull out of that voice, which is really unfortunate. Right. That's a good caveat. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Well, I loved your restaurant snap example do you have other stories of someone that you're you may be willing to share who has benefited from either your teaching or your book or just you know one on one working with you with the mindfulness techniques
0: i mean i've got tons of them so <laughs> my daughter after i did the book launch told me that she had a terrible nightmare Aww. and all of the dogs that we have ever had to put to sleep euthanize were in this dream. It was a lucid dream. And she was crying in the dream, right? Because Mm -hmm. she missed them so much. She loved them so much. And then in the dream, her character snapped and calmed down. That is so funny. I'm like, you're kidding. Your subconscious mind was working through that like that. you made it into your daughter's subconscious with all of your coping. So if that's not quintessential motherhood achievement, I don't know it is I don't know either. That was like, I said, can I write about that? You know, <laughs> I've had many people since the book launch, which was just about a month ago, tell me that they've taught it to their son or their mother or their friend because I'm teaching it to people so that they can teach others. So I designed hand movements and arm movements so that it's going to get into their memory. And my husband said, he sort of felt like he was doing the hokey pokey. And I said, yeah, but the hokey pokey is memorable. People remember the hokey pokey. Right. And that's what it's all about. And oh yeah. That's no, what it's all about. <laughs> hey, so I have people like snapping and then first I teach them soothing touch so they can use their soothing touch place. And then yeah. I, have them, I have them naming it and we're yelling out. Like I tell them which emotion to, to yell out. It's going to be anger this time, or it's going to, and I have them turn to the right and turn to the left, turn forward, sit down, stand up because I want them to be able to teach it when they walk out the door.
1: I, I wonder don't. if snapped followers will start recognizing each other, you know, just out and about in a coffee shop or something. And then there's a snap and then there's the hands on the heart I and then they like do that. a little dance. Wouldn't that be cute if they we like recognize each other and knew what we were doing? Can we start a movement? Because- I'm sure someone somewhere could probably start a hashtag or
0: a TikTok or something and make this, make this happen. <laughs> I tell people that, you know, the acronym is fun and good, but it's really just to get you to internalize the practices. And then once you have it down, you don't need to do all the hand and arm motions. You're always going to do soothing touch though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But that could be more subtle. Like you mentioned, there's many ways you could do that without people really noticing. I just think it's funny. The idea of someone being first frustrated and then doing all these movements and then 30 seconds later, they're totally fine. It's pretty powerful. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, is there anything you'd want to share with our listeners, anything just about the power of mindfulness or anything to encourage people if they don't know where to start with all of this and it's new to them?
0: I want people to know that they have more power and control over their being than they realize Hmm. that even in a really terrible, terrible day, there's moments that they might have had ease or might have had joy. I mean, even being at somebody's bedside as they're terminally ill, you can look out the window and the sun might be shining and you can notice that, or somebody in the hallway could smile at you if they're not masked. When I've had particularly really bad days, and I've had many of them with taking care of people, you know, caregiving. And I answer the question at night in my gratitude journal, what did I enjoy today? What am I grateful for today? Sometimes I have to really think, okay, this was a dumpster fire of a day. What did I enjoy today? And then something will come up. I really liked my cup of coffee this morning. I sat outside with my cup of coffee this morning. That felt really good, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, It enables you to perspective shift, and then you write that down, which is also a science awesome thing to write it down. And then what are you grateful for today? And it could be that same thing. It could be something else. I want people to understand that little tiny things count. Your, Your soft pillow counts these little itty bitty moments that we can love and cherish grow. And then when we encounter other humans of our species, because they're humans, and we show up like a loving vessel and they mirror our neurons, because it's contagious in a good way, when you show up really well, you're helping society.
1: Absolutely. And tell me if this is true, because I heard this somewhere, but I haven't actually read the research myself, but I heard that just the act of mentally searching for something you're grateful for, that's where the power is and its effectiveness. It's not necessarily actually identifying certain things or maybe the power of the things you identify. It's the fact that you are searching for something that you're grateful for. Cause you were just talking about, it could be like, Oh, I have a good hair day one day. And it feels the same level of power as if right. one day you're like, wow, I just had the best conversation with my husband in the world. You know, it's like, right. it doesn't, it doesn't matter exactly what you're deciding. It's just the fact that you're searching for something to be grateful right. for. Right. Right. Yeah. That is interesting. And what do you think about finding something to be grateful for in the same topic as the thing that is making you upset. I've noticed if I'm particularly irritated at something, I will try and find something I'm grateful for in that same topic. Like the other day, my dog got into something and was vomiting everywhere. And I was just so frustrated because you don't have to, I didn't have time that day to deal with it. But then I was like, you know what? I really love this dog. And I'm also really grateful, you know, that we have a good vet and like, I know where to go. And I'm just, I'd rather have a dog throwing up the no dog, you know, do you, do you find that there's power in that? Or is it just looking for anything in general that makes you feel grateful?
0: No, I think there's definitely power in that. It's called the silver lining, right? Okay. Finding the silver lining. Absolutely. Yeah. Really interesting. I feel like we could go on and on about all these examples. (laughs) We could go on and on because you know what? They're presented to us almost every minute of every day. Yeah. True. And we don't, we don't notice And that's where mindfulness comes in, is noticing, oh, that's an important thing. So with experience-dependent neuroplasticity, taking in the good, you want to notice a positive feeling for enough time, enrich it and absorb it in your body so that it creates a new neural network. So don't Mm -hmm. waste it. So when you do feel good, like, oh, I'm just so happy to have this dog as you're cleaning up the barf. Really, I'm happy to have this dog and you feel in your body like the unconditional love that you have for your pet and your pet has for you, 12 seconds or so might go by. You're rewiring your brain for happiness and resilience. Mm. So are you saying kind of sit with that emotion instead of just identifying it and blowing past it as I tend to do sometimes? Exactly. Instead of that's a beautiful sunset, what's for dinner? It's Uh that's a beautiful sunset. Wow. Look at those colors and really notice the majesty of nature. Boom, happy bridge in your brain. You did it. It doesn't take minutes. It takes like a dozen seconds. Mm, That's a really good tip. Yeah, because I think we get so
1: easily distracted. So maybe the first step is just noticing the perspective shift. And then the next level is really trying to sit with it a little longer and a little longer and a little longer.
0: You want your mental state to become a neural trait. Mm, That's good. So you have to enrich it and absorb it for that to happen. Otherwise, it just falls right out of your head. Yeah, no, that's true, actually. That makes sense. State to trait. I like
1: that. That's Rick Hansen. Rick Hansen. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I'm certain there's so many gems like that in your book. So I'm definitely curious to learn more about them. Where could our listeners find your book? Is it on Amazon? Are you selling it on your website? Where could we find your Snap Chaos? It's on
0: it's on Amazon and wherever books are sold. So if, okay. if, if it wouldn't be in your local bookstore and you wanted it, they could order it. Okay. Yeah, well,
1: I'm, I'm definitely interested in looking at your book myself. Where can we learn more about you and your website?
0: Mindfulmethodsforlife.com is my website and it's more than a website. It's a library in there. So all my teacher's books are in there. Every book that I've ever read that I think would be helpful to humans to help themselves is in there. And my teacher's websites and their newsletters, and there's maybe three or 400 interviews that I've done in the last, I don't know, five years. And also my blog and the Balanced Mind with Julie Potter podcast, which I highly recommend because mm-hmm. it's guided meditations with a poem at the end and it's free wherever you get your podcasts. Are you a poet as well? Do you write your own poetry or do you bring other people's poetry? I just have to admit that I started writing poetry and it's really scary and fun. But for years I've been reading everybody else's poems because poems are just magical to me. They they somehow take you to a place in your body where words don't necessarily go when they're coming out of your mouth, and a poet just figures it out and it's very evocative, right?
1: Yeah. During
0: the pandemic, I started writing poetry wow. because I was reading so much poetry. And so now sometimes they're my poems. That's your version of the sourdough bread. Everybody started finding their
1: creative outlet. And (laughs) a lot less fattening. For sure. That's really, that's really brave of you and really interesting. So yeah, it sounds like that website is a wealth of resources and information about you, which is wonderful. So we'll definitely include that in the show notes. But I just, yeah, I just love that, you know, your journey started with saying the wrong words and now you're
0: a poet. Look how far you've come craziness. You just never know what is going to unfold. And there's this one mantra that I love, whatever unfolds, I will be there to meet it. That's beautiful. Whatever unfolds,
1: I'll be there to meet it. I think that's a perfect sentiment to wrap up on. That's lovely. And yeah, I'm just really impressed with your work because you learn so much in our field. And as you help people with gratitude as an isolated concept and then self-compassion as an isolated concept and mindfulness as an isolated concept. So I really like how you've just conglomerated them all in this cohesive, but very easy to use resource. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today and also with your book. Thank you so much for having me. I really hope it's helpful. That is my aim. Oh, definitely. You already helped me. So I can only imagine. I'm sure you've helped a lot more people too. But yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. I also want to thank our listeners for joining us today and just want to remind everyone that the resources for this episode with Julie and also an archive of all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com VHT. And we really look forward to having you back with us next time on behavioral health today.